Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And welcome to the Endurance Innovation Podcast. On today's show, we have a good friend of ours, Michael Erickson, joining us. Uh, Michael is the host of the uh, the podcast, That Triathlon Show, which, which was actually the first one that Michael and I had both done an interview on, or at least I had myself. Michael, have you done anything prior to that? Uh, no, so that was that was the first one for us too, uh, for me as well, for X3. Yeah, so it was a great introduction for us both. And uh, Michael's incredibly professional, um, has an excellent podcast. And if anyone listening is not already a listener of his podcast, we highly recommend it. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Andrew. It's nice to be here. So, uh, Michael, you were actually, I think, the first introduction that I had had to podcasts. Um, I hadn't even really listened to them before being invited to your show. So it was uh, it was a great introduction. Uh, really professional way of uh, being introduced compared to well some of the podcasts I've heard now. But you've also built up quite a reputation around your your brand and your your focus is just um, just the science of triathlon and just exposing kind of the studies and what what is the state of the art. The first question would be why did you decide to launch into podcasting? Well, so I did initially when I started being very interested in triathlon and and started to consume everything that I could about uh, triathlon and uh, and wanted to share what I learned. And as I was training and racing myself as well, uh, I, I did start a blog, actually. That was the first thing I did on scientifictriathlon.com, which is still my, my website and my domain today. But uh, I started listening to podcasts and started liking the medium a lot. I was working in engineering at the time, so I actually started to listen to a lot of business and startup uh, podcasts because I worked for a small startup company in the in the medical device space so so that's how i started to really enjoy the medium of of podcasting and it did take me quite some time to to get the courage to launch my own own podcast even though i had that in the back of my mind that it would be cool to to take give give this medium a shot myself as well because i also had some frustrations with blogging one of the main ones was that i was way too much of a perfectionist and it started taking me like 20 hours in total to write a blog post when I needed to do all the research and do all the referencing. I, I sort of treated it as more like a, like a, a project, uh, maybe not a, a full-blown master's thesis, but a bachelor's thesis at least. So, so it was <laughs> way, way over the top, to be honest. And, and that caused me to procrastinate whenever I would need to sit down and write a blog post. So I thought there's got to be an easier way. And interviews with podcasts that sounds like a good thing so then i don't need to to do too much you know perfectionism i just do the interview and then that's it and and then i i publish it and that's what i eventually ended up doing so that's uh i guess the background to, to how i started with podcasting and as someone who seems to be eternally stuck writing a thesis um i'm working on my <laughs> phd right now uh so i can completely sympathize with the, the challenge of getting up and going for writing and i think speaking about something it's just a little bit more natural and it um it gets across some points that you don't always absorb when you're reading i agree especially when you're having a conversation um you know when it's when you're writing something at least i find this i used to be it, have a semi-active blog that, you know, it's just my own voice in my own head. And then I, I find that even my own thoughts flow a lot better than when I'm uh, having a conversation with somebody else. That, that, that's uh, definitely true. Plus then the fact that you actually have the conversation with somebody else, which means that you can get a lot of insights that you might not have thought about yourself because you're 
viewing it from you're of course trying to get in all the information that you can from a variety of different sources and trying to synthesize it into into something that makes sense holistically and and that's not a one-sided view of of any particular topic but you you're still going to have that sort of cognitive bias at least in what your starting point is in how you view a particular topic so so it can be quite useful especially when you do many interviews that you get very different sides of of the same coin from different people and and that gives you i guess a wider perspective on on how to view different things and and helps you form your opinion much better than just doing all the research yourself and trying to synthesize it that way oh i love that i think you 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 kind of hit on a couple of things that i wanted to ask follow-up questions on but uh the the one that really jumps out right now is that that you're you know you're trying to challenge your cognitive bias by by speaking with folks and uh there certainly have been examples in your um in your show and i've, I've listened to uh, probably most of your i think you're up to what 187 episodes now yeah, and, and that's just the numbered episodes because the Thursday ones are numbered differently. They are Q&A number one, two, three, so they are, they're numbered differently. So in total, the total number of, of episodes that you can find, if you just count them on the, the list that they're published, it's 250 or so. Holy smokes. Okay. Well, um, 250 episodes. I think I, I clued in in around episode 30 something. Um, so, but I've heard, I've heard all those opposing viewpoints and it's, um, it's, I think you do a great job of, uh, of giving everyone the, the platform to voice them, even if, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, it sounds like maybe you don't, uh, you don't quite, you don't quite agree with, uh, with what they're saying. Um, but it's, uh, it's definitely a, a great way I find to, round out your own understanding and also challenge some of your preconceived notions too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. That, that's how I want it to work. Cool. So then in that vein, um, you know, what, uh, you, you obviously get to speak with, um, and any, if any of our listeners aren't familiar with, uh, with Michael's podcast, it's definitely worth checking out. He's his list of uh, interviewees is kind of like the who's who in, uh, in, uh, physiology and sports science and endurance sport. Um, but, um, of all the kind of the big names that, uh, you've interviewed, who was, uh, who was your favorite person to talk to? Joel Filial. That it's, it was pretty easy. I, I love this question because it, uh, it makes me think, but, but that's a, a pretty easy answer. That was episode 172. And, uh, you, you mentioned that the podcast is about the, the science of triathlon. I, I would clarify that I don't see it as just the science of triathlon. I see it as the, the science is just one part of it. Some episodes are quite technical and sciencey, but a lot of them are coaching application uh, experience based more so than, than science based. And Joel Philol is definitely, even though he obviously knows the science, but he is a coach that, that uses his experience and, and it is, he's applying this in practice and, and his view on training is, is one that I really, uh, really admire and, and try to, and for, for the most part, I, I follow it myself as well. I agree with most of the things that he, he said in that interview in, in my own training and coaching philosophy. So, so that would be the one, but it was quite difficult. I have, I can mention quite a few honorable mentions if, if you want to. <laughs> for sure. Go so, so, so let's go with the three honorable mentions or, or maybe four. So I would go with Sebastian Weber. That was, that was definitely a sciencey and technical episode, the first one that he yep. was on. Then John Hawley, if you want to learn about the nutrition of endurance sports, that's the, the go-to episode for sure. And Adil Tweiten was similar to Joel Philol in that it's a coaching application into, although Adil is definitely a coach that is 
very much in tune with the, with the science and using it perhaps more so than Joel Filial in his coaching. So, so I guess it falls a bit in between Joel Filial and some of the more sciencey episodes. But that was a great one for those those who don't know. He's the coach of the Norwegian and national triathletes, and they have been been making superb progress in the in the last few years for a very tiny country. So, so that was definitely a, a good one. And finally, I, I do want to include. A female interview as well. So Stacy Sims uh, on mm-hmm. female-specific uh, considerations, like with the menstrual cycle, but also different different approaches to to training and nutrition and hydration. Uh, that's a a very good one, I think. Yeah, I love those. I uh, I haven't heard uh, the Joe Filial episode, um, but the other ones you listed are were are some of my favorites too. Um, especially Stacy Sims. That was you know working with with female athletes it's her her insights invaluable yeah definitely yeah and i think um well with uh, stacy i know a whole bunch of other podcasts that have interviewed her she always comes to the top in terms of the um the top interviews people seem to get a lot of information from her and i think women in triathlon uh in a previous episode we'd spoken to sarah gross and there's a lot to discuss there and a lot of people aren't really starting to explore that topic that much um, or sorry, a lot of people are starting to explore that topic, but it hasn't been necessarily explored in the past. So sometimes the science is a little fuzzy or you get uh, limited studies that are focused on women and things like that. So it's it's great to hear that viewpoint as well. Yeah, and I think it is good that that she has been making herself available for all the different podcasts. I mean, she's, she has been on most of the triathlon podcasts and, and that just helps spread the word uh, to athletes and to coaches to, to get us moving in, in the right direction. To, to get more knowledge and, uh, and get more of a demand as well for knowledge about the differences between, between female and male athletes. So you've got some pretty big names on the, the interview list that you've done there. Uh, how did you start off? How did you decide uh, who the first interview was going to be and, who, and how to approach people and how to get their attention and, and make them realize that they wanted to talk to you and, and, and just explore the topic? Yeah, um, it, it was quite interesting, actually, because I, I started off... Uh, pretty well with uh, Joe Friel was was one of my first or the first interview that I that I did and, and there were some other big names as well in in the very first few episodes and and I think what I found was that traveling is a pretty small world and that there are no superstars if you will in it that that will consider themselves too too important to to be on a podcast Especially, you do need to follow up. I learned that the, it's as they say in in uh, in sales and marketing, the money's in the follow up, and, and that's definitely true for getting people on the podcast as well. Uh, it's been quite a few times that I I get a response on the fifth or or sixth follow up email that I send. And uh, sorry, I missed your previous five emails, but <laughs> yeah, I would love to get get on your podcast. So people are quite busy, but but when you get through to them, most people. Do seem to to be interested. I've had a few rejections, of course, but and that's totally fine. But I think that it's just that nobody had tried to do this kind of podcast because I think there were a lot of triathlon podcasts already when I started, but most of them were interviewing professional athletes. So I don't think that the coaches and the scientists and the industry people uh, that they had had really a platform to be interviewed on. So it was something quite new to them to have somebody even be interested in interviewing them in in, in some cases. I think at least from a podcasting perspective, it, it was kind of novel. So, so I guess that's 
that, that's one of the main uh, the main things that that comes to mind in, in answering that question. I find that kind of ironic, though, just because it is such a scientific and and technology based sport that um, there was that gap in in knowledge and in available resources there. So it's great that you were the one to step up and do it. Uh, it was just surprising that no one else had. I created a podcast that I would love to listen to myself, and I do, I do listen to it I, <laughs> myself, of course, and and get to be part of the conversations. But uh, but that's definitely. I filled a gap, I think, that was in the market, but also a gap that I felt myself that, that I really, really needed somebody, somebody to fill from my own podcast listening. That's awesome. We're, I'm taking notes on how to, you know, how to uh, approach people. Uh, send multiple emails. Yeah, fortunately for us, you answered the first email, so that helped out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then uh, this is kind of a jumping back to uh, the, the beginning of our conversation about uh, opposing or maybe, you know, not necessarily opposing, but different viewpoints um, of the of the folks that you've spoken with. Has there been anybody that really stood out as really as, as changing your opinion on uh, either a coaching practice or a technology that you held pretty dear that you believe that you were right about? And then after having spoken with this individual, you um, decided to take another look at it? Yeah, um, definitely. I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, like changing anything directly. Although I have an interview coming up, it's not scheduled yet, but maybe coming up in the next week or so that I think based on the conversations I've had with, uh, this, uh, female coach and scientist, she may be changing my, <laughs> my opinions. Uh, that, that's, that's may, may, that may be about to happen. The, the things, the, the interviews that comes, that come closest are the ones where I actually, I haven't really had an opinion changed or realized that I was wrong about something, but just learned something completely new that I didn't re- realize or some completely new things that, that I had been unaware of. And, uh, and a couple of those episodes would be definitely Sebastian Weber. And, uh, but although that wasn't as part of the podcast interview that I did, but when I got connected with him, which was actually a, a bit more than a year before before actually interviewing him, but he is somebody who definitely changed my understanding of coaching, and uh, and I learned quite a lot of of things that I had no idea about, to be honest. When when I first got connected with him, and then those same exact same things we then talked about in in that interview with him. Another one that comes to mind is is David Tilbury Davis, who you had on in in one of your first episodes, and he had some. Uh, very practical, like application-based things in coaching that I had just never considered and that I thought were super insightful and, and that I started, uh, started using. So, so, so that was another one. Uh, I would pick those two probably as the, the main ones to come to mind. Yeah, it's funny that um, that you picked those two because those two are super influential interviews that I heard on on that triathlon show uh, for in my career. Because uh, after listening to uh, David Tilbury Davis on your show, um, it would have been more than two years ago now. I, I reached out to him and uh, and asked if he wanted to be a coaching mentor for me, and he agreed to do that. And we've been working together in that capacity ever since. So that's all thanks to uh, TTS um, and uh, and uh, Sebastian Weber. After listening to your show again, I uh, I actually had Inside reach out to me a while back. And um, it was just there was too much going on, and I didn't give it too much credence. But after listening to to the man actually speak on your show, 
And, uh, and I think maybe I had a similar aha moment to yours, um, you know, about the way that, that they, they, they kind of, um, they really changed the way that, uh, that we can look at, at energy metabolism. And, um, we actually probably will have uh, Sebastian on our show, Andrew, in, uh, in the coming months. You're giving away all our secrets here. <laughs> I know. Well, I have to, I have to tease out at least one. Um, but that was, that was my impetus for, for signing up with them and, uh, and going through the training. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on the fact that that's um you know a pretty radical way of of looking at uh, at metabolism and then as a result coaching to improve that metabolism yeah yeah and i think that the thing that that stands out with that one in particular is that it explains why certain training protocols that people have known about for years work but it also explains why they may not work for some people but potentially for for somebody else so so it gives us much more a certainty in in what sort of training to apply to to a person depending on what their metabolism may be like at, at this current moment so, sure. so i think that 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 increased confidence in, in what you're doing when when you're pres- prescribing a program that's that's something that that i think is is quite revolutionary absolutely yeah and that's always you know you're you're uh, I'm, I'm sure you know this as a coach but you're always operating you know you're trying to solve uh, a complex problem w- without having all the information right and uh, and certainly as you put as you put it uh, inside gives you a lot more a lot more of that information and you know enables you to make much more you know enables you to make decisions based on on uh, a fact as opposed to sort of you know nebulous conjecture or or what people would assume to be best practices yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, the interesting thing there, just hearing the conversation about uh, uh, David in comparison to the inside um, technology, where David, you had mentioned, has a lot of simple but obvious things, um, obvious once you hear them, but not necessarily simple to come up with. Uh, and I think that's a great application. It's a great um, demonstration of how true innovation can be, where uh, it's just it's something like the wheel, right? I, I always use this example where once you hear about it, it becomes so obvious, but for the first person to create that, it's uh, it's a difficult leap. So David has done some of those things with some of his simple uh, prescriptive training methods. Uh, but then we look at the other side of things with inside where we're, we're digging deeper into the data. We have these scientific tools available. Um, so we might as well use them to help predict or help understand what our bodies are actually doing. And we're taking decades old training me- methodologies, which are known to work, but actually explaining why they work now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and to, to talk about David a, bit, a little bit and, and give us some examples of what I think that I learned from, from his, from talking with him is really one of the main things is the 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 concept that he has about uh, splicing workouts that you talked about i think in your interview as well to just give a certain set duration and a work to rest ratio let's say that uh that you want to an athlete to do to do 15 minutes of work and uh and you want them to do a one-to-one work to rest ratio you don't need to necessarily describe uh, prescribe five times three minutes on three minutes off you can just tell the athlete that well this is what you uh, what you have to do and you splice it up however you see fit and it might be 15 times one minute on one minute off or, or five times three minutes on three minutes on three minutes off and when you combine that with uh, the energy metabolism information that you may have especially if you have done the inside testing then you will start to realize why some athletes will do the 15 times one and some will do the five times three minute option uh, because some athletes may be really 
going very, very deep into their anaerobic energy reserves when even for such a short interval as a three minutes interval, and, and it might make it a very taxing workout for them. And anything that you do above threshold is, is so expensive. So, so that concept of splicing workouts, uh, which helps even if you haven't done the testing, an athlete will uh, intuitively hopefully choose an, op- an option that works for them. That, that's, that's something that I learned that I found was really, really insightful and that I haven't thought about before. But then there were a lot of other things about the just basic things about movement and, and how everything stems from, from quality movement. And one of the examples is to maybe our, we are overusing paddles. And I actually recently re-listened to my interview with David after hearing your interview on, on your podcast. And, uh, and that, that comment about paddles, I had forgotten about it. And, uh, and then I remembered it again. And then I said, well, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to stop using paddles for a while. So I have now been swimming without paddles for, uh, for a few weeks, I would say. And, uh, and I think I feel sort of a difference in, in my feel for the water. And at, at the very least, I'm swimming better than ever. I can't say that it's because I'm not swimming with paddles at all anymore. But, but I do think that it makes sense in, in the way that he describes that we are not swimmers. We have a limited swim volume compared to the swimmers as triathletes. And then making some of that swimming, the kind of swimming where you do not really work on that feel for the water is sort of... A waste of time so so that's something another example of, of how these things it, it doesn't all have to be technical it doesn't all have to be like super fancy but our sport it stems from movement and from quality movement the more quality movement you have the better you're going to be all else being equal so so hearing the importance of some of those things and how you can actually work on them with practical applications that david talked about in those interviews that's one of the things that i the other main thing that i took from from those interviews yeah, he does a good job of striking a balance between, you know, between kind of the the engine or the metabolism um, and the he calls it the chassis, right? The you know the the peripheral the peripheral systems and the the ability of those of those you know the working muscles to actually use all of this metabolic energy to do useful work and be efficient in doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and that's something that uh, that I quite often have to explain to athletes because especially the ones that listen a lot to the podcast get very much i wouldn't say obsessed but but really focused on on the engine the physiology the metabolism and completely forget about the chassis and uh, the things that tend to be read in their training peaks are those all important strength training sessions and uh, and and it's it's something that is uh, so important for athletes to realize that you can have the best engine in the world, but if you put it in a chassis, that's not uh, that's not conducive to to producing the movement and and actually using that energy in a non wasteful way to to propel you forward. Then you're you're just not going to be as good as you could be. Absolutely, no, totally agree. This is actually a bit of a follow up to what Andrew asked you first, Michael, about um, uh, finding subjects for your interviews. And so in the early going, sure, you know, you're, you're trying to get who you can get. Um, but now that you've got, you know, you're, you're fairly reasonably well known in the, in the, at least the triathlon podcast sphere, um, you're becoming more of a, of a trusted resource. And I think a lot of people, and I count myself as one of them, um, a lot of folks uh, sort of see you as a, um, as a filter or a first place to go for, for some of this information. And they're like, well, what's Michael listening to? Maybe I should pay attention to this also. Now that you're now that you are where you are, how do you decide um, who to approach or who to talk to? And uh, as a as kind of a follow up to that question, what do you see as some of the you know 
the exciting uh, goings on and either, you know, physiology, technology, pick your, pick your topic in uh, triathlon in the last uh, 12 months or the next 12 months? So that's a great question. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned the word filter because I have that question here in my notes and uh, and in the notes that I made for how to answer that question, I, I used the word filter, not just once, <laughs> but I am very selective actually in, in who I choose to interview and definitely becoming more and more selective. I have some interviews that I did in the past that I would not do today for sure, for various reasons. Uh, and now what it's come, coming down to is that I actually, I do some interviews, record some interviews that I end up not publishing because the quality and by that, I don't mean the audio, but I mean the, the content isn't good enough or not relevant enough for, for the listeners. Uh, so, so I definitely think that I'm, I'm getting more and more selective in, in, in the guests, but also that after the fact, if, if something is for whatever reason, it's not, uh, it's, it's not relevant or, or good quality content that I feel comfortable sharing with the listeners, then I'm not going to, to publish it. So, so the, the way that I approach things is that I definitely go for people and, and not uh, people first topic second and not the other way around. So a good example is a recent interview that I did with Professor Andy Jones from uh, from the University of Exeter, and he's been in the in the endurance sport academia for such a long time, and in the uh, the applied field, working with Eliud Kipchoge and and Paul Radcliffe among others. So uh, so so we could talk about tons of different topics. Uh, so so the way that I approach him is not to say that hey, I want to talk about this topic and, and I think he would be good. I, I know that he would be good as a person because he has, has such ex- extensive knowledge both in academia and in, in coaching or in applied sports science that, that I want him, him on the podcast. And then, of course, I'm going to pick some topics and some, some questions that we're going to discuss. But for me, it could just as well be choosing to use the entire interview on talking about marathon running, marathon training, or on nitrate loading, beetroot juice, the whole shebang and what ended up happening in this case was that we talked about a little bit of everything but but the important point here that i'm trying to make is that there are people that i that i follow that i know of or that i learn of that are very reputable and very knowledgeable and those are the people that i want to talk to and maybe i don't really know exactly what they're doing maybe they're recommendation from somebody i trust so maybe somebody like sebastian would recommend some i interview somebody then i'm going to reach out to them uh, because I know that if Sebastian recommends them, then they're probably going to be to be really good people to talk to. Uh, so, so, so that's the approach that I have uh, going with people first. And but then I always research, uh, of course, what they do and and what they've what they've done and what the topics will be. Also, what their opinions are on different topic, and this is especially important in things like coaching, not necessarily academia, because then it's quite easy when you're just looking at the science see what somebody has published and, and what the, the conclusions are. But in coaching, it's a bit different. And uh, and there are definitely, I do want to act as a filter when, when we have this, these topics that can be sort of, um, I guess, up for up, up to personal opinion. So, so a good example here would be, let, let's say you have somebody that tries to promote a, a CrossFit for triathletes program and, and saying that, all triathletes should be doing CrossFit because that will make them better triathletes. Well, then I actually know, or I have the firm opinion that that's not true. Uh, that that's definitely if somebody wants to be a better triathlete, then CrossFit is not something they should do. So, so I'm not going to interview that person, and maybe that's to some extent it's it's a personal bias, but 
But I think that the risk is that, that it would be, do more harm than good if I have an interview like that, even if uh, I do think that I do want to voice different opinions, but I do draw the line at some point and, and I do act as that filter. So that CrossFit for triathlon, triathlon program, that's not going to see the light of day on, on my podcast because I know that that's, that's just something that's not going to help anybody. Some people might actually think that it's good so and go start doing it and think that it's going to help their triathlon. I'm not saying that CrossFit is bad, by the way. I'm just saying that my podcast is an endurance podcast, so it's for triathletes mostly, but also cyclists and runners. And if it's not something that's going to help them be better endurance athletes, then I'm really not that interested in, in having it. And I know from, from my perspective, CrossFit is not going to help any triathlete, they can use that time to do strength training, sure. And I have plenty of episodes on that, but not in form of CrossFit. Another example is the the whole nutrition thing. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be quite open about that, that things like a ketogenic diet, et cetera, that are gaining popularity. I've had some episodes on LCHF before, and those are some of the episodes that I sort of regret doing with everything that we know now, that... Uh, they really sure there are outliers that make them work there's always going to be somebody who makes something work despite of whatever it's is they're, they're doing rather than because of it in, in many cases but but from for 95 percent of of reputable coaches and nutritionists would tell endurance athletes that that you should not restrict an, an important macronutrient like carbohydrate like that so so i'm not going to really try to promote i'm not going to promote that on my podcast either because that's going to cause some people to to do that and it's not going to do them any good in most cases in uh, for for 80 or 90 percent of the people anyway and and the reason that i draw these lines is that uh, for me it's pretty i mean i could talk to people and and maybe i can even i could probably gain some information like even a, gain a nugget from an interview like that even if it's something that i fundamentally don't believe in i could still gain a nugget so i would still be interested in in having that discussion but the problem is that or for me the uh, the advantage is that i interact with so many coaches and researchers and and scientists on a on an almost daily basis uh, that i can i can like draw the conclusions that of what is relevant and, and what i should ignore but it's more difficult for the listeners because where they get the information is more so from mainstream media and social media and then the picture becomes quite blurry so as you said uh coming back to what you said that uh, you consider that reference to be sort of trustworthy that's what i strive for and that's why i do have some f clear filters in place and and i'm all it's always going to be a case-by-case -case basis i don't have any and when things change if we get new knowledge new science comes out then things will change of course but but i do have some i, I do basically do my due diligence to make sure that whatever we're going to talk about it's going to be relevant and helpful for the listeners in some way not all interviews are as helpful as as others but but it's not going to be directly harmful and uh, and completely irrelevant either hopefully so there's a lot of excellent points there um it'd be tough to uh to number them all off after that that was quite an answer but um i guess the one obvious thing that comes through is that you're uh, a very well-respected expert in a lot of these areas now, um, just because of your exposure and your insight into a lot of these different topics. So really, um, 
I guess what's uh, what's the next the next big thing for triathlon? What do you see the the science and the technology pushing us towards in terms of improving yourself as an athlete? Because ultimately, that's what everyone's after. They want to be a faster or better athlete or healthier athlete. So, in your opinion, what's the the next big thing? And I I hesitate to ask it like that because it's kind of sensationalizing it. But uh, what do you think is the the science that's really promising going forward? Um, I think for, for most age groupers, actually, it's very simple and it's nothing new. I think that we're like very much all consumed with new gadgets and new technologies, but most age groupers are still not doing basic testing, not, not getting into the lab, getting a VO2 max test or getting an inside test or getting a lactate test or something like that. And, and if you don't know your, your physiology, your metabolism, as we discussed, then that's the that's the basic for endurance performance. So so I think from my perspective, I really do want to stress the importance of that for the for the for the age groupers in particular. That that that's something that's been available for a long time. Or it's improving, like things like inside is a new technology that's improving how we can do that, of course. But but the basic testing possibility has been has been there for years and years. And and I think that that's something that before we get too uh, to focus on new technologies, I think that we should make use of the ones that we already have that are already known to to work. And there is a reason that professional athletes they do go and, and get those tests. But in terms of new technology and new new science, I think in terms of technology, I'm I'm sure that you know a lot more about this than than me, Andrew, and and probably Michael too. But I'm excited for maybe getting those uh, those live aero sensors to work uh, <laughs> to, to get live CDA numbers. I'm not sure how, how close we really are to uh, to making them like really, really useful and, and really accurate. So so that's maybe a different discussion. But if, if we can make that work, that, that would be quite, uh, quite interesting. And, and in terms of, uh, of science, I, I really have to have to think here. I mean, I think one thing that would be pretty useful that and that is maybe a pipe dream more so than a, a reality for for the near to to midterm future but there is so much data available now on platforms like training peaks and strava etc that if we could could sort of do some sort of uh, of crowdsourced uh, sci- scientific studies on on how people are training and how that's helping them it would be very difficult to to design something like that but it could be done i think that that could uh, probably bring, bring sports science one one big step forward because of the the amount of, of data that you have and and rather than having 12 male college students age 22 we could have thousands of people of wide demographics that are part of a, a study even though it's not necessarily a controlled study but it could be a, a, a retrospective uh, study to to see what's what's working the way that people like Steven Seiler has been doing on uh, on elite uh, elite athletes in in smaller samples, mind you, but, but still something like that would be really exciting if it could be done. I really like the implications of big data. Um, there's a lot of privacy concerns, obviously, but, um, I really think that's the West, the best way to understand a population, um, just by, by taking the data, as long as it's reliable data, that's the only problem. If you get, um, say someone has a heart rate monitor, that's not working properly or their power meter isn't calibrated correctly. But, uh, aside from that, getting the big data aspect and being able to analyze it effectively, I think is really the next step forward. Because as, as you mentioned, all the studies focus on a very specific age group. It's usually what's available where the, the study is being done. Um, and typically it focuses on males instead of females. And that's 
just again availability and people willing to do the studies. So uh, it is a huge limitation. Um, but I think going forward, yeah, looking at at some of those um, collaborative or the crowdsourcing of the the data platforms is a fantastic idea. And to touch upon something that you said uh, about you know using the old technology of testing to to improve what you're doing, uh, Michael, I I couldn't agree more. But I think the, the what has changed in well maybe the last <clears throat> five or seven years is that the the tools required to do at least you know basic testing and with with inside you get really much much more detailed testing are becoming much more available. And by that I mean power meters for. Uh, for cycling. And then, you know, you're starting to see power meters for running as well in the last couple of years. And uh, those tools make testing that much more accurate and that much more useful. Uh, even if you're just doing field testing, like even if you didn't, even if you didn't do an inside test, if you did, you know, a critical power test uh, using a properly calibrated power meter, you could get quite a bit of information um, just from that kind of testing. So I think that's where, if, if anything, if there's been a change, that it's the availability of the technology that allows you to to test well. Yeah, for sure. And and you can you can do field tests like that. You you can do a classic field tests and uh, and get quite a lot of information from that as well, and, and use it pretty well. I think though that uh, the the danger in that has been, and this is definitely a recent development, that we we get obsessed with these vanity metrics, vanity FTPs, and uh, etc. And totally. uh, and that then hinders progress in training. So we need to remember always that uh, testing is just a tool to to make training effective and and then perform on race day. Race day is where it's all what it all comes down to. So so that's I think what what needs to be communicated very clearly. And and that's I think where in recent years like a lot of things have been going wrong for for a lot of athletes. Uh, so because they they maybe are constantly training too hard because of a vanity FTP that is way above where it actually should be. Yeah, that's a constant struggle for sure. I mean, I think the, and, and people get discouraged when that number doesn't go the way they want to go. And, um, and there's a very large psychological component to uh, to managing the process. Definitely. And I actually just the other day, I listened to an interview with Katie Zafiris, who, for those who don't know, is the number one female triathlete in the world right now uh, on the Olympic distance, sprint distance, uh, WTS, World Triathlon Series cycle. She's coached by jo, uh, Joel Filial, by the way. Uh, who I mentioned as my favorite interview, uh, she she was interviewed on a podcast and uh, and it struck me how much she focuses on the proce- process and, and how that's something that she's constantly developing and seem to become more and more process oriented. And uh, and I think that it's it's so important. It's also something that I'm changing in my own in my own training and, and racing especially and trying to uh, to instill in my in my athletes, especially those that tend to have a bit of a lower self-confidence and self-confidence issues, then focus on the process becomes all the more important. And, and I think for anybody, it's uh, if, if you have the right the right process goals in place, then then that's going to be advantageous above a too uh, outcome-focused uh, approach. All right. Well, why don't we just move on to one final question and then wrap things up? What's next for that triathlon show? What do you see in the future for you? Definitely, the podcast will remain the uh, the main content content outlet. I would like to experiment with some other formats as well. So something like YouTube or Instagram TV or Facebook Live. I'm kind of interested in the video platforms. Uh, I, I don't quite know to be honest, and uh, and most likely this could only happen when I when I bring somebody on to to help with these things because I'm pretty stretched as it is. 
on on the business side uh, for scientific triathlon, I am uh, definitely planning uh, to bring on more coaches. Uh, right now, it's just me and uh, my coaching partner James Teagle, uh, who is an elite triathlete uh, based in the UK. And uh, so, actually, if somebody listening is a, is a coach and feel a strong alignment with the brand, feel free to reach out. Although I'm not like actively looking right now, but sort of passively looking, and and it's something that is going to happen in the in the short to mid uh, moderate term future. And uh, and personally, I, I do have the goal of coaching some professional triathletes as well. So uh, I don't take on any any age group uh, coaching clients at the moment, but I do have uh, I do leave some space in case any professional athletes come on because that's sort of the uh, the goal that i have in my coaching to to move in in that direction to coach professional or aspiring professional athletes so age groupers that want to take the step to to become a professional uh, but going back to the podcast I, I don't think that anything is changing although i always take listener feedback so so what sorts of episodes i do how the episodes are structured etc that might change if if i get feedback about something I'm always happy to take take suggestions like that. So, uh, but but other than that, I see it continuing. And uh, right now, I do well. I have been doing since the start. I've been doing two or three episodes per week. I've been back to two for quite a long time because three was just a bit too much. But every Monday and Thursday, there's a new episode, and uh, I really don't need to do that much, uh, that many episodes. It, it makes no sense. If you think of it from a time management or financial perspective or, or anything like that, I, I should be doing much less. But I just do it because I get so much great feedback and so many countless emails from people with stories that how the podcast helped them. And I know that for every email that I get, there's probably 10, of, uh, 10 other stories like that out there that, that I don't hear about. So that's so motivating to me. And, and that's why I keep pushing out the podcast at, at such a rapid rate, I guess, because I it's just like it's so... It may not be in alignment with my with my work schedule and my work life balance, but it's in alignment with what I want to achieve, which is to help uh, the maximum number of of travelers in the world that I can. So, uh, so that's uh, that's really why I love the podcast so much because it has given me a platform to do that. That's awesome, Michael. I'm uh, I'm gonna write you an email now saying how uh, how a tri- uh, how scientific triathlon and uh, and that triathlon show has uh, has helped me evolve as a as a as an athlete and a coach. So look out for that. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be, I'll be staying up. It's getting later, but I'll be staying up waiting for that. <laughs> um, well, listen. Uh, before we wrap up, what are the what are the race goals for next year? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I still have this year's racing uh, going on. Oh, this year's racing. What are you doing? So I'm doing, the main two races that I have left are 7.3 Worlds in Nice in uh, the beginning of September. And uh, yeah, I just want to have a really good performance. It's difficult to say who's going to turn up, so I'm not going to put any any position goals for that. But then I have three weeks later, I have Ironman 7.3 Kashkai. So that's my one of my home races and a really good race. And I want to go there and try to defend my title So because I won my age group last year. And uh, and hopefully place in like the top top five top three in the overall age group ranks something like that and beat my time from last year so so those would be the goals. Those are awesome goals, well, Michael. Um, if there's anything you want to plug, obviously we'll uh, we'll put links in the show notes to that triathlon show and scientific triathlon. Um, anything else that you want us to mention? Well, yeah, I have a new Instagram account that I want to get some followers to. So it's very small at the moment, but it's Scientific Triathlon HQ. I, I enjoy that platform at the moment and trying to become a bit more uh, more active there with some good triathlon content. So so go and follow 
uh, follow me there as well. I think that it's going to be the, the main social media platform that I use as well. So uh, yeah, go, go and follow us there. For sure. And obviously anyone who's listening, we highly recommend Michael's show. That's something that, uh, that both, well, co-host Michael as well, as well as myself have listened to for quite a while and it's a fantastic podcast. So, um, if you haven't listened to it yet, uh, you should do so. Uh, so with that, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, it's been a fantastic chat. Great to talk about the technology and the sport and your, your background with everything. Thank you both. It was uh, great to be here. Thank you. And, uh, thanks everybody for listening until next week.